0: You're listening to TIP.
1: On today's show, I sit down with seasoned real estate investor Tristan Thomas to take a look at the mobile home investing niche. Tristan started with just $3,500 and now owns over 50 mobile homes, including a mobile home park. Not only is Tristan's story inspiring because of what he's been able to accomplish at such a young age, but you'll also hear how relatable his story is. He didn't start with a big advantage that no one listening to the show today has. He started where many of us start and he put in the hard work to get to where he is today. It wasn't easy for him and it won't be easy for you either, but Tristan's proof that you can do it too. So without further delay, let's jump into this inspiring conversation with Tristan Thomas.
0: You're listening to Real Estate Investing by The Investor's Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey.
1: Welcome to today's show. As always, I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and I'm excited to have Tristan Thomas here with me today. Welcome to the show, Tristan.
0: Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me.
1: For those listening that may not know who you are, walk us through your story and how you got to where you are today.
0: I'm a young entrepreneur, real estate investor. I'm 27 years old. And when I was in college, I just trying to figure out where I was going to go with my path and my career and everything. So I studied heavily in real estate investing, didn't know exactly what niche I wanted to get into, but was heavily interested in multifamily investing. But you know, as I graduated college and moved back to Maine and, and started working, I realized that uh, mobile home investing was something that fit my, uh, my qualities a lot better as far as financially. So basically, so I started really, really small, and uh, you know, I started with one with only a few thousand bucks, and it kind of snowball effect from there, and grew into this portfolio that's now over fifty units. And I've studied mobile home niche itself for you know three or four years now, specifically, and, and got myself into a position where I work for a national company doing mobile home specific stuff. So, but yeah, and that's kind of the, the eagle eye view of everything.
1: So, why real estate? How did you know that you wanted to go into real estate?
0: Good question. Uh, Growing up, my dad had some apartment buildings. So it's something I was used to. And, uh, you know, I had always had a knack for making money. I had paper roots and sold ice cream at fairs and stuff like that. But there's nothing better than passive income. And, you know, like I said, when I was in college, I was just trying to look at my path. I I studied exercise science and I realized that there was like absolutely no money in that for me. And just the lifestyle I knew I wanted to live, I knew I needed to make some money. And I knew real estate could be something that could supplement it. I didn't know at the time that it would take off how it did and be a full-time career, or full-time job. I thought it was just something I do on the side. But I've just always known that the real estate was, was the way to, to wealth. And that was, that was where I wanted to go.
1: So why did you choose the mobile home niche? When people get into real estate, they don't usually go into mobile homes or even mobile home parks. They usually look at single family or multifamily residential properties. So why do you want to go into mobile homes?
0: I'm sure it doesn't surprise you how many people call me absolutely crazy for thinking of uh, investing in mobile homes. I mean, there's definitely a stigma in it in today's day and age. It's just too bad. I mean, it's I didn't re- I don't care for stigmas. I mean, I have my own opinion. So you know, I went into it head first, and I'm glad I did. It's just. It unrevealed just whole side of investing that it was a lot easier and faster to get your money back than everything else I was studying. You know, like so I was looking at you know small multifamily investments and a fourplex would be two hundred grand, and then I look at one mobile home and it was thirty five hundred bucks. Was my first one. So I looked at the return, cash on cash return, how fast I'd be recouping my capital, and then my overall risk. And it was just honestly, it was a no brainer. I mean, once once I just put you know pen to paper that this was what I was doing, I mean, all the numbers lined up perfectly. Very little risk, high rewards. So I mean, to get your answer as to you know how I got involved with it, I mean, it was really just having the, the means. I mean, I I didn't have a whole lot of money when I first started. I was looking for owner finance deals, but you know those are far and few between. So I really only had enough money to get into the mobile home investing space and. As I did, I realized that the profits there are equally, if not better, than my other investment classes. But the only downside would be, you know, you don't have the appreciation that your fourplex would have got, but you have cash flow and heavy cash flow at that.
1: For those who may not know, what does it mean to invest in mobile homes? What does it mean to invest in a mobile home park? And how are those two strategies different?
0: So investing in a mobile home itself, for those who don't know, it's a four-walled home up on wheels that are obviously detached when it's set. But it's a you know it's a single family house dwelling that's usually parked and located on a mobile home pad that has, you know, your water, sewer, electric, gas setups. The pad is usually concrete or leveled with gravel and then blocked and leveled with your mobile home. You skirt it, throw on some porches and there's your single family home. So that's you know, that's mobile home obviously mobile home parks is different. It's more of renting land as opposed to renting the homes, although you can rent land and homes, but Mobile home parks are definitely the uh, you know the big dog in the mobile home space. Obviously, I mean you can acquire a lot more units a lot faster as you are buying parks. Your parks will appreciate as opposed to mobile homes individually won't appreciate. So I mean I think there's a lot of a lot more pros that get into the mobile home park space. But with that being said, the barrier to entry is a lot harder to get into the mobile home park space as opposed to mobile home investing. So I just think it depends on the amount of capital you have and the amount of time that you have access to and your experience level. I mean, the guy getting started out like I did three, four years ago in, in this space, uh, you know, I only had 3,500 bucks and no knowledge whatsoever, you know, so I would have been dumb to jump into a mobile home park at that point, but I was smart from getting into a mobile home. And that's where I started my knowledge, and it just transformed itself into mobile home parks. So that's kind of the evolution of it
1: So why don't mobile homes appreciate in value? So
0: it's hard because mobile homes aren't attached normally, they're not attached to land. It's the land that appreciates in value. Mobile homes specifically don't. They're viewed out a lot like cars, so if you buy a car, it's not going to appreciate, it's going to depreciate. And that's usually how it is with mobile homes when they're not attached to land. So you'll also find many mobile homes that are attached to land that aren't in parks. Those properties will appreciate because it has land. But mobile homes inside mobile home parks, uh, specifically just the mobile home, is a depreciating asset unless you, know, you sink a ton of money into it or sell it uh, with seller financing or something like that to recoup your risk.
1: So to that point, how is holding title to mobile homes different than traditional real estate?
0: Great question. And that's a completely market specific question. I mean, it's going to be different in each state. Each state has different laws governing mobile home rules and titling and stuff like that. So I would suggest that you call, you know, your mobile home uh, association. Each state has one and ask them, you know, specific questions about titling. Like up here in Maine, mobile homes aren't considered mobile homes that aren't attached to land are not considered real estate. So they don't have title or deeds or anything like that. They're considered personal property. So it's a lot easier to buy and sell these things in Maine, as opposed to a state like Illinois, for instance, who has titles involved. It's not saying that it's any harder or any less difficult or anything like that. It's just an extra step to, to jump through. So yeah, just call your mobile home association for each state and ask them those kind of specific questions. They'll, they'll have answers for you.
1: And so in the states where they don't have title, like you said, Maine, is it literally the same as just buying a car?
0: It's extremely relaxed. I mean, obviously, as a professional, you want your paperwork to be in order. So you know, we have professional docs. But I mean, quite literally, it's a bill of sale. I mean, you can write it on the backside of a napkin, scratch it on a piece of paper. I mean, it's the same as you would do if you wanted to buy a washer and dryer set off somebody or, or a car for that instance or whatever. It's just it's perceived as personal property and traded that way.
1: And what about if it's on, not on land or it is on land? Are you purchasing... Usually, just the property—you're not the property under it, but just the mobile home itself—and you have to take it off the property.
0: So normally, I'd say like 95% of the mobile homes I've done have all been purchased on land that I don't own. Just like again, it's just a lower barrier to entry, when and you don't need as much money as as if you were trying to buy a mobile home with land. So everything I've bought has usually been on land that I don't own, besides like. A mobile home park that I bought or anything like that. So I mean, normally, if I bought it on somebody else's land, I would move it into an existing mobile home park in my area and then fix it up and rent it or fix it up and sell it there. So and that's another thing about this asset class is it's expensive to move, but you have the ability to move it. You know, you don't have the ability to move your fourplex across town to a better area. Good exit strategy that mobile homes have that not very many other asset classes have is you can move them. So it's it's a win win there.
1: So what does that process look like? Do you need to go through anything in order to move that property out of the spot that it's in? Are they sometimes in a contract or is it month to month or what does that usually look like? And then how do you decide where to put it and what are the laws or regulations or rules around putting it into a new park?
0: That's a great question. So I mean, you're definitely going to want to deal with licensed movers and licensed installers. These are people licensed by the state to do this stuff correctly. And they'll have a wealth of information when you give them a call. But basically what it looks like... so. When I buy a mobile home, I usually look at the market it's in obviously first. But if I see a mobile home that's a good value add opportunity or it has good value, but it's in a, a subpar market, that's usually key, and I can get it for a good price. That's usually key. That says, okay, let's let's buy that home and move it to a better area. You know, and reasonings that you would want to move it to a better area are pretty simple. I mean, you could charge more for rent, or you can flip it for more, or your your tenant base is going to be of of a better quality if you're moving it to a better area. Usually, mobile homes aren't in leases. You know, with mobile home parks, usually it's a month to month. So you usually kind of just give a 30 day notice. Or if you're buying it, you're just letting the, the park owner know that you're going to be moving it. There's really not much they can do to keep you there as it is your home and you're free to move it. It does get kind of chalky moving a home, especially for your first one. I would advise you if you're going to get into mobile home investing specifically, you know, probably start with one or two homes that you don't have to move so you can learn the ropes. I mean, once you move a home, it's more expensive. You got to know a little bit more of what you're doing, if it can be moved, how much it's going to cost. But Again, just use your local resources as far as mobile home movers to educate you on, on what it's going to cost. You know, again, things that you'll need to take into account when you move a mobile home is you're normally going to need a new skirting kit, which skirting kits are pretty expensive plus install. You know, so that's a line item that you don't want to miss on your on your budget. You're usually, you know, you're going to be building new porches normally or setting it up to utilities and you'll have to dictate whether the mover does that, whether you do it or hire a handyman to do it. So there's a lot more involved with moving, but at the end of the day, it has a lot of pros to being able to move it.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And it's great that you pointed out those few line items because if somebody's used to analyzing multifamily or even single family rental deals, they probably have a process that they go through to analyze those deals. And they have typical line items, right? They're all pretty much standard across the board. But when it comes to mobile homes, there sounds like there's some unique items that you have to make sure you consider. Otherwise, you're going to blow your budget.
0: What's unique about mobile homes is, for the most part, your biggest line item might be like $3,000 to repair. Yeah, like a repair roof or a repair a furnace, you know? So you're not going to get hit with the, uh, forty thousand dollar line item expense if you you know if your foundation blows or something like that or a ten thousand dollar new furnace for for fourplex i mean it's it's a lot cheaper and a lot easier to absorb mistakes which i think it's a, is another reason why you know beginning investors should really get into this i mean even if you make mistakes which everyone will they're a lot cheaper in this industry than if you have a mortgage hanging over your head and you got to pay your, you got to pay that mortgage no matter what
1: So, what are some other ways that mobile home investing is different than traditional rental property investing?
0: You know, to be honest with you, I wouldn't say there's a huge difference. I would say if there's any difference, it's going to be a positive in the side of mobile homes. The way I explain it to people when they're trying to decide between a mobile home, either as a rental or a home, as opposed to an apartment in like a four unit or an apartment complex, is, you know, an apartment complex, you have people on all four sides of you usually have uh, shared parking. You're usually kind of congested. You can hear other people. With a mobile home, I mean, it's your own home. You got your own four walls, your own parking, your own yard. Mobile homes, whether you're really renting them or owning them as a home, I mean, there's just a lot more pride of ownership with them regardless of like a traditional four unit or an apartment complex. At the end of the day, like I said, I mean, you can have a family there. You can have cookouts right on your deck. You know, Everyone has ample parking and you have your own yard. Those, those are just amenities that you don't see in the apartment space much.
1: That's really interesting for me to hear all this because you don't hear a lot of people excited or even recommending investing in mobile homes. So it's, it's really interesting to hear it.
0: I might be crazy, but hey, it's working so far.
1: I was going to say, it's working for you. So I, I wouldn't call you crazy. And the next question is, how are you able to get started investing in real estate with just 3500 And I think that's such a good segue or next question because maybe you're not crazy. And maybe this is a really yeah. good way for people to get started without a lot of money, like say 3500 bucks. So how can somebody get started like that?
0: I think, like myself, like anybody, I mean, you want to get into real estate for the most part for passive, long-term wealth, and uh, that's why I was looking at small multifamilies to start. But I needed immediate cash at the time. I mean, I was living with my at my dad's house with my girlfriend. I mean, we were miserable. We hated it. Our backs were against the wall, and we just needed we needed out. But in order to do that, we needed to make money and and have that passive cash flow. So. I kind of put halts on my long-term goals as trying to find long-term wealth uh, on what an apartment unit would probably be and put more priority on my short-term cash flow to try to get out of the situation I was in immediately. (laughs) And I did. And I used other people's money, OPM. I used some of my dad's money and uh, some of my girlfriend's dad's money that really, I, I call it influential money that I was able to just slam into the mobile home market it didn't take long. I think I had like maybe four to four to six mobile homes before I was making enough to pay my bills and, and move out of my ops place. So starting out, I think I bought the first home for thirty five hundred and maybe put another four grand into it. I think anybody can, if they really want it bad enough. I think anybody can get their hands on you know six to ten thousand dollars, whether it be saving for six months to a year or getting it from a friend as a loan or loan from a parent or or other investor to go 50/50, or a sweat sweat equity partner. I think the barrier of entry is so low that there's really no excuse. And again, I was just looking for the, the immediate short-term cash flow. And that, that's why I got uh, pulled into it because I mean, it's what I needed. And it, it was the solution I was finding and it kept working. So I just stuck with it.
1: So we were talking about this earlier about how you purchase it in one complex or one mobile home park and then you move it to another one. How do you know that you could move it to a different park? Do you kind of set that ahead of time? So, before you buy a mobile home, will you have a spot set up knowing that you can move it there? Or do you purchase it first and then kind of worry about that after? What does that process look like?
0: That's a good question. I mean, I always have like a running inventory on the parks in the area. I mean, so me specifically, I mean, I don't have a huge metro. I mean, you'll have listeners that have a much better opportunity to do this than where I'm at, which is awesome. That's even less of a reason. I mean, that's even more of a reason to get going, but. In my small area up here, I mean, I have like a running list of inventory of like where I know I can move homes. Like, there's only like three of the nicest parks, and like out of those three parks, like two of them won't let you bring in a home unless it's brand new. So, I mean, it kind of dwindles down your funnel of where you can bring homes. And I mean, it's not that hard to pick out the nicer parks in your area, talk to those owners, and try to find out which parks you can bring your nice used homes into to up your selling price. You know, usually dead giveaway is when I go to look at a home and it's just in a pit park. You know, there's just big dogs roaming around. Just poorly lit, just really bad communities I mean there's not a ton of them, but you definitely will see homes in subpar communities and as an investment point of view I mean there's just there's money to be made there, but you're gonna you're gonna struggle with a lower quality of tenant anytime you put yourself in a position of having a lower quality community so to me, I put a lot of merit in the nicest communities because those are going to bring me the nicest tenants, which usually are going to bring me the tenants that don't give me headaches so yeah, I mean it's, it's just kind of it's just common sense at the end of the day I mean if you see it in an area that's that's not as good, that you could bring it to another area that's better, and the and the numbers still work, well, it makes sense. So,
1: does that new park that you're going to bring it to have to be advertising that spot so that you know that they have an opening that you can bring it to, or do you just call it around and see what parks have openings that you could potentially fill?
0: So, I mean, my market's small, and I so I know every single park in the area so I drive through them. But I mean, yeah, it would be extremely easy for you to call the uh, park manager or the park owner and ask them what they have for availability. And a lot of times you'll run into park owners that you can actually negotiate some concessions with if you move in their home. I mean, because that's very very valuable. I mean, if you were to break it down math-wise, I mean, these parks have capitalization rate per their NOI that they're bringing in. So I mean, if you have a non-performing lot and then somebody offers to bring in their mobile home and you're charging them $300 a month, overnight, you're... That three hundred dollars a month on that NOI, you know, divided by your cap rate or whatever, that goes—that's a thirty, forty thousand dollar increase in value to that gentleman's mobile home park or that owner's mobile home park just by you bringing in their home, you know, your own home. So I mean, and normally, for the most part, mobile home park owners, are, they're smart businessmen or businesswomen. You know, so they understand that. So what I was getting at is you can, you can negotiate concessions. You can say, hey, look, you know, why don't you give me the first three months of lot rent for free, and I'll bring in my mobile home. And normally, you can get a lot of value net. That's usually enough time to fix up the home so you're not paying lot rent, and stuff like that.
1: Why wouldn't the owner of the mobile home park go out and get their own mobile homes and bring it in themselves?
0: I'd love that you asked that question because I, I got into the space from the mobile home side, as opposed to the mobile home park side, which is a lot of what other investors get into. So I see the value in mobile homes. I see the value in bringing in mobile homes and and all that stuff. To answer your question, at the end of the day, it's very capital intensive and time intensive to do what I do uh, for a mobile home park owner. So if you have 20 vacant pads, it on average might cost you $15,000 between the home, the move, and the rehab to get a used mobile home in there. So if you do that times 20, that's a huge, that's a huge chunk of change that not everyone is able to invest in a mobile home park after they've already bought a mobile home park. So. And not only that, it, it takes time. It takes time to go find a mobile home. It takes time to negotiate it, to get it moved in, to oversee that process, to rehab it, oversee that process, and then to, to sell it. So, to answer your question, I mean, park owners, for the most part, they're lazy. That, that's why that they're not bringing in their own homes. But you're seeing more and more as this industry gets more professionalized that uh, you know bigger operators are getting into the space who have money to infill these homes, you know, infill their parks to to jack you know to jack up their valuations through infill. So that, that's what you're seeing a lot of now, as opposed to old mom and pop who don't have 300 grand to bring in new
1: homes. So are you flipping mobile homes too, or are you just moving them to a new park and renting them?
0: And that's what I love about this industry is like, there's, just, there's, there's a handful of avenues that you can go into. You can do them all. You can do some, you can just do what works for you. So I have an avenue that does mobile home flips. You know, I have an avenue that is mobile home rentals. I have an avenue that is mobile home seller financing, and then you know, mobile home park. You know, so if you were looking for some quick cash, I always tell people that you can make money in doing mobile home flips for sure. If you're looking for that long-term uh, cash flow, mobile home rentals or seller financing might be a good option. Or like what I do, I kind of couple it all together, and if I just see a value there, I, I find a way to plug it in somehow. Usually, the homes that I buy. And the nicest parks are my flip homes because those will sell for the highest. Usually the homes that I buy in class B or C parks that are more rental quality homes, those are the ones that I stick to You know, rentals or, or owner financing them off or something.
1: So what exactly does it look like? You bought, a, you bought a mobile home in a distressed park and it needs some rehab. So you buy it, you move it somewhere else, you get the rehab done. And then it's in this nice new park. It's all renovated. What happens next? What do the numbers look like? What is your process?
0: So basically, I mean, once I once I have, I mean, there's a lot of investors that will sell like a handyman special home. Just to touch on that, I mean, I've I've never tried that because usually, you know, the person you sell it to either a doesn't have the money or they to fix it up the way they say they're going to, or b never has the time to do it. So I've never done handyman special. So all my stuff's been turnkey. So I'll buy a home. I try to stay away from moving it because it's 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 expensive. So if you can find a home that doesn't need to be moved in a good spot already, you know that you're you're already ahead of the game a ton. So I buy it, rehab it, get it turnkey, and then again I, I either rent it or or rent to own it or owner financing it out. I mean, as far as the number the numbers go, I usually try to keep a three hundred dollar per door net cash flow like minimum on all my investments, and it's usually it's usually a little bit higher than that, which is great. But you know to answer your, your question specifically about the numbers it's just going to be market dependent you no know, uh, rents in Maine will be different than rents in Indiana or anything like that so that's why I talked about the $300 spread I mean uh, when you're doing your numbers you just got to make sure that it's working it's going to work for you so like me I just I came up with that $300 a door is what I want minimum or I'm I'm not going to do the deal another another aspect that I use is I want my money back within a year or I'm not going to do the deal so yeah, it's just coming up with your own criteria and then sticking to that criteria to funnel through your leads. And then at the end of the day, you're, you're bound to make money if you can be uh, you know, determined to, to watch everything uh, closely.
1: I was going to say that cash on cash must be very high because people are usually shooting for 300 a door on multi-hundred thousand dollar properties, not properties that cost sub $20,000. So that cash on cash must be very high.
0: Especially if you couple it with a lot of a lot of operators are doing like rent to owns and stuff like that. So usually when you couple it with that, there's a down payment involved, which is usually you know anywhere from a thousand to two thousand dollars. So you know you get two grand up front, then you're making you know, and then they're making rental payments on the rest of it or whatever. So I mean, it's it's attainable to get your money back. I'd say probably realistically within ten to eighteen months. If you're sticking to it, but uh, there's plenty, and that's just like my little niche that I have found. I mean, there's still plenty of money to make in the more expensive homes; just it'll take you longer to get your money back. So that's just like my little sweet spot that I found that works for me because that's my criteria.
1: Let's talk about that rent to own. Is that rent to own strategy or process? Is that different than normal seller financing? How does the rent to own work?
0: So where it gets different, and again, this is this is just extremely state specific you're going to want to before you dive into this i mean just and it's good due diligence to do it anyways i mean you can't listen to a guy like me or anybody for that matter and kind of take their word for it i mean we're not cpas we're not lawyers so at the end of the day i'd highly consider you go to your your mobile home association of the state like i mentioned already and run, run these kinds of questions through them and then even go to an attorney to get documents drawn up sometimes your mobile home association will have those legal documents but but anyways the reason why i say is you know some states you need to be like a licensed mortgage loan originator to do this all by the book but at the end of the day the grand scheme of things is it, you're selling it to an individual who's seeking home ownership And you're selling it for my stuff when I price it out. Normally, when I do something rent to own, I just sell it for double what the cash value would have been. So if I would have sold it for $15,000 cash, I'll usually sell the mobile home for $30,000 rent to own. You know, And for people who are seeking home ownership, I mean, normally they wouldn't go through financing or seller financing or rent to own through you if they could just go to the bank, get a bank loan on it. But the reason why we're having such issues is it's extremely rare and very, very hard for banks or for anybody to find banks that will lend on mobile homes inside mobile home parks. Banks just say they're too risky. They're not attached to land. So there's no real estate to hold this collateral. So they won't touch them. In fact, they won't. Usually, banks won't lend, lend on any mobile home over 20 years old, which is the majority of the homes out there right now. So, I mean, this is kind of a, like I said, a path to home ownership for people that normally wouldn't have. You know, I, I call them um, habitual renters. You know, normally they don't. They've never owned anything, and this is their option to rent as something. I mean, they, they've been renting their whole life and use that same money that was going towards rent, as opposed to at the end of the day, they'll own their home free and clear, and then uh, you know just have to pay a lot of rent. So it just really helps out a lot of people who want the who want that opportunity and it's not everyone but uh, the people who have done it they've been extremely extremely uh, you know thankful and uh, you know they just feel fortunate to be in, in their shoes so
1: and so they're giving you a down payment which I'm assuming you can probably negotiate whether you want 5, 10, 20% whatever you want that to be and then is the rest just a amortized loan over 20 or 30 years
0: no, so again, and and that's where, especially me, and, and everyone does this differently. I mean, there's probably a million ways to cut this cake, but how I do it is because I, I really try to stay away from like me creating loans, you know, because that's really not what we're doing. I mean, it's more so of like a, a rent to own situation. So, like, for me there's no interest rate there's no there's none of that fancy financing language it's it's a traditional kind of like a traditional rental contract that they're in charge of their own repairs and maintenance and they pay rent for x amount of months until that you know until that's over with and then they own their home free and clear so for me it's just a lot easier low key way of uh, of renting i guess and then somebody ends up with with the home at the end of the day and they're static now they own a home free and clear and they don't have to pay rent anymore so it works out well i mean the usually the people that come to us are Either families or 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 young couples trying to get into a home as a starter home, or older people that are trying to downsize. So yeah, no, it's a it's a unique opportunity. It doesn't work for everyone, but for the majority of people, they're kind of looking for something other than a traditional rental. So it works.
1: And so, if say the rent's a thousand dollars, and they're going to buy it from you for say thirty thousand, that means after they make thirty monthly payments of a thousand dollars, they then own that property, of course, net out of the down payment that they gave you. That's
0: pretty much how it goes. I mean, obviously it's market dependent. So, like here in Maine, like we normally don't charge more than six, like five or six hundred bucks, just because like our market's different. But you know, you said a thousand. I mean, you could probably find that in Denver or you know uh, Dallas or something like that. Absolute. But yeah, that, that that's the mindset of it.
1: So if you're charging five or six hundred dollars, how are you getting to cash flow three hundred? What are those two hundred or three hundred dollars of expenses that you're having if you don't have a mortgage?
0: So usually, what it is is you're you're still paying for you know the yearly property taxes and insurance, and then really beyond that, I mean repairs and maintenance is usually put on the the resident or the tenant if they're doing rent to own. If it's just a traditional rental, which I you know I have a, a handful of those as well, then you know you're in charge of repair and maintenance and stuff like that. I mean at that point, it's just the same expense items that you would have on any other rental property. There's nothing really uh, specific besides maybe lot rent. But again, normally what we do is we charge for the home and then that resident's in charge of their own lot rent. And we, and we build that all in. So like when when I go to, to try to find a price on, you know, what I should sell this thing for on a monthly payment schedule. So say like a three bedroom mobile home rents for nine hundred dollars in my area and the lot rent in that park is three hundred. So I'll take that three hundred off and I'll just charge six hundred for the home and then they're in charge of their three hundred. So at the end of the day, they're still paying market rents for that home but just you know, at the end of X amount of years or whatever, they own it free and clear and they don't have to pay rent anymore. So it's just a good opportunity.
1: And so in that scenario that you just mentioned, are you responsible for that lot rent technically because you're the owner of the property still?
0: So that's a great question. And, and that's something that I tell a lot of people who try to get into this, that They say, Oh, you know, mobile home park owners, they won't let me into their park. They won't let me into their park. And I say, Well, look, you know, at the end of the day, mobile home park owners are usually, unless you're a bad quality resident, but they usually just they want their lot rent. So what I say to that is if you find a park that doesn't want you to do business in their park, I usually offer to sign a second lot rent agreement guaranteeing that I'll pay the lot rent. So usually when I when when somebody moves into one of these homes, they sign their own lot rent agreement with the park. So to be a little bit more clear, if the park wants more than that, then yes, absolutely. I would suggest that you sign yourself personally guaranteeing that you'll pay lot rent on their behalf if they don't. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just park dependent. So some of the parks I do business in, they don't have me sign anything. They just have the tenant sign things. Other parks want me to be the only one that signs. Other parks wants both of us to sign. So it's really just uh, getting in touch with the park owner or the park manager, explaining to them what you're trying to do, which at the end of the day is only to add value to their park. And then, yeah, and then just making sure your numbers are all lined up on the backside.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I would have thought that the park owner or the law owner would have wanted you to always be responsible for that as the property owner.
0: Yeah. I mean, professional minded people absolutely would want that. I would want that. I, I demand that on anything I do in my parks. But what you got to understand is what you're dealing with a lot with these mom and pop owners is they've owned, they've owned these parks since the 1950s or 60s when they were, were built. So they're not professional operators. They're mom and pop operators. So you'll see a, a lot of shortcuts, I guess you could say that, especially paperwork-wise. That, and that, that's where you see the, the disconnect where they don't require you to, to, to sign a lot rent agreement as a professional operator would.
1: So what happens if the tenant is required to pay the lot rent and they don't, but they've been making their payments to you as the owner for their regular rent? What does that damn name look like?
0: So basically what happens is if we get a letter or a call from a mobile home park owner or park manager saying that our resident, our resident in common hasn't paid their lot rent, basically, again, it just depends on that agreement. If we have an agreement that we step in at that point. Usually, I just write them a check on that day and say, okay, it's in the mail. And then I call that resident and we'll add that, we'll add that onto their balance or whatever. Or say, hey, look, you know, now, now you owe us $300 because we paid it on your behalf. So, other times where we don't have an agreement with the park, normally i just do a collection call on the park's behalf, you know, call the resident. Normally, what it is is it's in the mail. Or they got paid a week late, or something like that happened. They just failed to communicate it. I mean, we—I've really never dealt with any terrible tenants, knock on wood. Especially when it comes to like this rent-to-own, because these people—they—they they like having the path of home ownership. They're usually not going to screw it up. So usually they pay their bills. And that's what we've seen is uh, you know they don't want to lose a home. They don't want to lose uh, the opportunity on their own home. So they've paid their bills. But to answer your question, yeah. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't pay, then we step in and pay and then charge it back to them or make them reverse us somehow.
1: And then if they don't pay you back, does it just go into a typical foreclosure process?
0: So again, that's going to be state specific on what the state's process is. But yeah, either foreclosure, default, eviction, it's just going to depend on kind of what, what legalities of your state's paperwork and all that stuff. But yeah, basically like a default situation.
1: And so in your portfolio, are you typically doing more traditional rentals in terms of mobile homes to so just rent it out? Or are you doing more rent to own?
0: So right now, I, I have more rentals than anything else. In fact, I'd probably say eighty twenty percent, eighty percent rentals, twenty percent rent to owns The majority is because the mobile home I park, the mobile home park I bought only eight months ago came with a bunch of rentals. So I've just been re- refreshing those, rehabbing those, and keeping them as rentals. In the grand scheme of things, I I do a small number of rent to own contracts, you know, I think there's good value in it. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of trying to get out of the space of investing in other people's parks and invest in parks myself. So that, that's why I've kind of, you know, haven't really grown that side of the business at all. It's because I've kind of transitioned to buying parks of my own. I mean, there's a lot of operators that do the, uh, the rent to owns in their own parks. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say that's probably equally good uh, strategy. And there's a ton of people that do that. So again, it's just kind of getting into this space, realizing what's going to work for you, realizing what you want. I mean, I've had some people ask me that same question and say, okay, Tristan, well, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, at the end of five years or four years or whatever, you have no more cash flow coming off that mobile home and you're done. And uh, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, that's it. So if you're rent owning these things off, you know these people will buy buy off the home, and then that's it. As opposed to if you're holding these things as rentals, you know you could have income for the foreseeable future. There's no end date there. So again, it's pros and cons for everything
1: your point earlier, it really depends on what you want out of the the property or what your goal is. If you're just doing a traditional rental, you're not going to get a big lump sum at the beginning. But if you do rent to own, you're going to get that down payment. You could get 33% or maybe even half of your all-in cost back and just add deposit. So it depends really what you want and your goals.
0: And that's why it's it's very important to be clear about what you want and then be clear about setting your criteria. And again, it's just the same with any asset class. It's like you, you want to know exactly what you want and how you want it. So if you're beginning out or if you're starting out, it's just so important that you outline, even if you don't know, just jot something on what you think it might be on paper. And then as you get into it, as you learn and as you make mistakes, you'll refine that craft and you'll refine that criteria. to what it will work a lot better for you down the road.
1: You've mentioned that you're looking to buy full mobile home parks now. So talk to us a little bit about what your current portfolio looked like. Which types of properties do you own? How many, how many parks? How many units? How many things like that?
0: So I own a little north of 50 units right now. I bought a 26-unit mobile home park over the summer that is licensed for 40 pads. So since then, I've bought and moved in about 12 or 13 mobile homes. So I'm almost 100% occupied over there. Beyond there, I have about a small portfolio of about 10 to 12 other mobile homes that are either rentals or rent to owns are in other people's parks. And then I also own a three unit and a single family house rental. And I should have a, a duplex under contract here any day that I've been working on. So I like small multifamily investing just because, again, the long term wealth kind of thing that debt pay down at the end of the day in 20, 30 years, you're going to have a lot of equity sitting there. But my passion is definitely the affordable housing niche. Which is mobile homes and mobile home parks. I think there's going to be a lot of value there. I think with the way the um, the economy is going, and just with the stigma being lifted to it being your own home as opposed to living in an apartment complex, I think. And, and I've already seen this, not even. I think I've already seen a lot more interest in that area than a, you know somebody who wants to do a traditional apartment rental. So yeah, that's kind of a deep dive on on my personal portfolio moving forward. I mean, I'm looking for mobile home parks myself. Smaller ones, I say smaller ones in between 30 to 50 units. Primarily, I'm not looking for the bigger ones because that's what I'm doing with Brandon Turner and Open Door Capital. We're looking for mobile home parks over 100 pads. And luckily, I don't want to compete with any of that. So nor do I have big millions to get into that kind of game. So I'm trying to stick to the more local parks or the smaller parks that have a less barrier of entry that I still understand. There's still value there, but they're not big enough to get interest by the big uh, corporate dogs. So...
1: So do you have a mobile home park or mobile home just property deal that we can walk through from start to finish? It could be good or bad, but I'd like to walk through the process from the very beginning to the end and just see how that that all worked out. Do you have one that we could talk through?
0: So this one is a mobile home inside somebody else's park, so I saw it for sale. actually the lady called me saying she had it for sale. So I went over and it was uh, it's an older home it needed a ton of work, and I picked it up for three thousand dollars so again, uh, cheap barrier at entry, but I overestimated how expensive the rehab was going to be. and not only that is I was using a new handyman to do a ton of work that I wasn't quite comfortable with. So at the end of the day, basically I mean we bought it for three grand and and lot rent immediately hit. Which is 400 bucks a month in this particular park because it's a really nice park. So I didn't do a good enough job calculating how many months I would have to hold it, which normally I do better at. So, you know, when you're looking at a mobile home or any, any asset classify, you gotta equate holding costs. Well, if your home's in a mobile home park and you pay a monthly lot rent, that's gotta be equated into your holding costs. Not only that, is I didn't take into account time of year as good as I normally do. It's wintertime up here, and, uh, you know, I bought the home at the very, very tail end of fall going right into winter. And I knew it needed a big rehab. Usually in the winter months, things die. Or if they don't, you don't sell homes for as much as you could in the summer months. So not only were my holding costs off, my timing was off. And then the fact that I gave way too much confidence to a handyman that I wasn't that comfortable with and gave him way too much range to do a large-scale rehab. I mean, basically, it needed all new everything, all new flooring, all new paint, all new plumbing. Luckily, it had a brand new furnace in there. We did some roof work. Painted the outside. I mean, we we really went through and did everything. But at the end of the day, I got into a situation where I was paying a handyman a ton more money than what I what I could have found if I would have just vetted the right handyman or. or- waited until I was comfortable with someone before just throwing them at it. And I think the reasoning was is I was busy with a ton of other projects and I just paid this handyman hourly. I said, "You know, let's just go in there and I'll just pay you hourly and, you know, just bill me bill me weekly." And that was a terrible thing to do. I mean, don't don't ever do that. Pay these guys per job. And I knew better than that, but again, I for whatever reason, I, I really screwed up on this one. So pay the guy for a job. I got into it. Now it's it's almost done, but uh, you know I'm probably ten grand into it more than what I had, I had budgeted. It's not going to kill the deal by any means, but I'm totally not going to make my money back in the year. It's a lot different. So yeah, I mean, I think that's some really good learning lessons. I mean, even me who thinks who likes to think that I know a little bit about this industry. I've been in it for three or four years. You know, obviously four years deep, I still make mistakes like this, which are very beginner mistakes to make. But I think it was a good sobering lesson to, uh, to say, hey, let's hone back into the fundamentals and make sure you're doing things correctly. So I think that was a good story for anyone who wants to get involved.
1: I think that that's a great story. And I think it provides a lot of valuable insight for someone that's looking to get started. And I have some questions about that deal specifically. When you're finding a handyman or maybe even a contractor for a mobile home, do they have to be mobile home specific? Are they, Or can pretty much anyone that knows how to do renovations or rehabs? on a traditional single family or multifamily property, can they go in and do it on a mobile home too?
0: That's a great question. So yes, to answer your question, yes. But I prefer people who have Mobile home specific knowledge when it comes to handyman or contractors, usually the old guys that have been working on mobile homes for twenty or thirty years. And the reasoning is because there are some nuances to mobile homes specifically. So, like especially in the northern states where we are, each time uh, you know the frost comes in the winter and then thaws, it will move your mobile home. So sometimes the doors don't latch, the doors don't latch correctly, or the windows don't quite shut correctly. So. You really want contractors that know these kinds of things and and are you know like I said mobile home specific. At the end of the day, it's drywall, plumbing, electrical. I mean, it's all the kind of same stuff that you have in apartments or anywhere else. But anytime you have anybody with mobile home specific knowledge, is this going to help you out as far as finding material for cheaper or knowing what fits where? So yeah, it's it's well worth to try to find somebody who's worked on mobile homes before. Plus, you're going to find those guys that. You say mobile home, they'll hang up on you. The contractors, you know, the, you, you got contractors that don't want anything to do with mobile homes. They don't want to crawl underneath mobile homes. And, and I understand, you know, so it's usually the guys who have mobile home knowledge that they, they understand what you want. And, and that's usually a good relationship to have.
1: So, are you finding a typical renovation cost? So, are you saying typical three bedroom mobile home, a full rehab? Is that on average, say, eight to 10 grand? Or do you have any sort of normality in these rehabs, or is it kind of all over the place?
0: It's gonna completely depend on on the degree of rehab. But I mean to answer your question in short, yeah, I would say like a full a full blown rehab where you gotta go through all new flooring, all new paint, so some new fixtures, like a full blown rehab, probably eight to ten is a good is a good range. But again, it's just gonna it's just gonna depend. If you need to replumb a whole house, you know, usually a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks. A new roof on a mobile home, usually twenty five to thirty five hundred dollars. And like a new furnace, again, usually, you know, two grand to three grand. So I mean it's just gonna kinda depend on what your rehab will entail. But you know, mobile homes are under for the most part, single wise, they're under a 1000 square feet. So usually guys in other industries, they kind of talk in that square foot knowledge as far as how much flooring is going to cost or how much paint to use stuff like that. So but yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, for someone starting out who doesn't know how to calculate rehab costs that well or doesn't know how much flooring should be like mobile homes are a super good tester to that even if they just want to dabble in mobile homes just to get their feet wet in construction in general, and then move on from there. Because again, it's very low risk, you could say your furnace blew and you didn't budget for it, at the end of the day, it's only two grand. So I mean, it's something you can absorb a lot different than trying to get your feet wet with with a fourplex or something like that.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly why I wanted to ask that question. Because if you buy a single family house or even a small multi, There's no turning back. (laughs) No, no. I mean, if something goes wrong, right? I mean, you could have foundation issues. You could, I mean, there could be so many different things you could have, but those renovations aren't cheap, right? It sounds like on a mobile home, like absolute worst case scenario, you could probably, yeah, you could absorb it and you could almost have a brand new mobile home for what, 15 grand (laughs)
0: I would say the absolute worst case, if you got into it, new roof, new furnace, all new everything, I mean, max 20 to 25, maybe 30. But still, at the end of the day, that's a lot more to be able to absorb that than fourplex that your the, your roof or foundation goes on. And then on top of that, you have to pay a mortgage. But at the end of the day, you can get out of, out of a mobile home usually a lot easier than what it would take to get out of like a, you a know, fourplex or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, a roof could be 10 grand on a small multi plus foundation is not cheap. So... I mean, that money you just talked about could easily get eaten up very quickly on a traditional mm-hmm. rental. And so if you decide to do a renovation like this on a on a mobile home, and then things kind of go south, you decide you don't want to rent it and you want to just sell it, what are the opportunities to sell it to someone? I know you mentioned that financing is difficult. Is it hard to find someone to buy that mobile home?
0: It's hard to find someone who can buy that mobile home for cash. Now, obviously cash is king. So like. Well, usually when I offer a mobile home for sale, like cash is the number one. I mean, cash is king. So if somebody comes to me with an all-cash offer, they're usually one that brings it home. I mean, just because it recoups my capital, I'm able to make a quick profit and I can, pull, I can plow that into a different investment property. But yeah, you know, I mean, some, some options, I mean, you can, you can sell it for cash, you can, you can rent it, rent to own stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think what myself and what a lot of people would agree on, I mean, it, cash is king. So I mean, if you can make your capital back quick, you know, that that's kind of the goal. Unless, you know, people are, are wanting this to be a long term rental type of situation for long term wealth or, or cash flow at, at least, you know, then that's an option. So again, it just it just gets down to what you you know, what you want, what you're in this for and, and, and why you're doing it.
1: And so how are you finding your deals?
0: What I do here in my area, and I've I've been in this area for three or four for years now. So I've I've got a lot of word of mouth built up, smaller area so people know me and know what I'm doing. But I really just started out, and I would give this advice to anybody. So I I really just started out driving for dollars. So I drove around mobile home parks. I um, I talked to the park managers while I was there and told them what I do and how I offer value and started building connections and relationships. And what I found is that it really only takes maybe two or three, maybe four mobile home park relationships for you to have enough inventory and enough access for you to do all your business. Like all my stuff that I own in other people's parks, I think is all condensed down to like three or four parks. And like one of those parks, I have like six homes in that one park. You know, so like once you find the parks that want to do business with you they'll usually just feed you more and more business because they know what you're doing. And they know the value. So it's not like you have to go out and find 20 different parts to do business. in. it's usually just a handful. To talk about more things you can do market-wise, like everything I do with Open Door Capital, I mean, because we have mobile home parks across the nation and I'm, I'm the lead infill manager. So it's basically my job to find mobile homes in those markets, markets that I'm not even from, that I'm not familiar with, and I've never even stepped foot on. From my desktop here in Maine. So normally, what I do is it's like a desktop version uh, market review. So like Facebook Marketplace is usually my number one stop. I just type in the uh, the zip code to that area, and it usually pops up a ton of inventory. Craigslist is another stop. The Facebook sites, like the swap and trade sites, are awesome. mhbay.com dot com are usually great. So that's like kind of my desktop review. So usually, if somebody were to spend thirty minutes just looking on their desktop or their phone, they'll probably find at least a handful of decent homes that that actually might make sense. Moving forward, if that doesn't generate any leads or any interest, I'll usually start calling mobile home movers, mobile home dealers, other park owners, other park managers, and then just start asking. But just really hitting the phones and cold calling and being aggressive on, on your sales end of things and just working hard every day to find leads. So it's really, again, it's no different than any other asset class. Is just how to find the mobile homes in your specific market and, and do it consistently.
1: You mentioned that you're using Facebook and Craigslist, and that's something I've actually used myself to look for mobile homes. I haven't actually bought one yet, but I've looked there and I haven't actually been able to find anything that were seemed to be really good deals like what you're talking about. So where are you able to find the really good deals?
0: That's a great question. So what usually the Facebook Marketplace, I mean I say I start there, but usually that's like the MLS for mobile homes. So that's usually where the more expensive mobile homes are because if people are savvy enough to list it on Facebook Marketplace, then they've at least done their research to know about what it should cost, market value, so they usually they're more expensive there. The best deals that I find are usually referrals or driving for dollars, driving through parks that there's just a for sale by owner sign on the front window. Usually, those are older mom and pop people, or just people that are just too lazy to put the ad on Facebook, and they normally don't know how much the homes are worth. Or and so you can usually buy really good deals that people just don't realize that the home might be worth ten, and they're selling it and they're willing to sell it for three. So those are usually driving for dollars is by far like the number one that I found the best deals. A near second is my um, my bandit signs. So placing you know signs throughout the town or throughout around bigger mobile home parks. You know we buy sell mobile homes. That gets a lot of interest from people that again, instead of listing it with the MLS or the, the, you know, Facebook marketplace, instead of listing it themselves, they'll call me and have me come over first. And usually we can hash out a deal right there because I know the value and I know exactly what I'm looking for before they get a chance to list it. So again, it's like, you know, somebody looking for single family homes. You know, you want to find the homes before they're listed. So and by doing that, you know, driving for dollars, bandit signs, word of mouth, same kind of stuff.
1: So you just mentioned you'd know the value. So how are you determining the value? How do you find comps on a mobile home?
0: So, it's extremely hard to find comps on a mobile home, but basically, it's just educating yourself on market value. So, like once you're in the market enough and you're seeing homes for sale on what they're selling for, and more importantly, what you're able to sell them for. So, I mean, it's going to take you a couple to get under your belt before you really start understanding this, but it's 100% market value. So, again, it's not like the MLS where you can type in an address and then pull up a bunch of sold comps in the area. You're not going to really find that with mobile homes. So, I would urge you to educate yourself and talk to mobile home park managers or park owners or dealers. Other people that have been in the industry longer than you have in your area that know what a nineteen ninety five three bed, two bath Burlington home, well, you know, would go for. These guys that have been around the area, I mean, even me with only three or four years, I mean, I know within ten seconds of looking at a home about what it should be worth or what it would sell for once fixed up. So I mean, again, it's just educating yourself on the market. It's harder because like I said, I mean, there's nowhere where you can go to get comps. You gotta find the comps yourself. So you gotta call around, talk to people who've been in the area.
1: How about for rental comps? Can you ask the park owner to see what their rents are for, throughout the whole park? Or is there any other way to get comps for rent?
0: That's an awesome question because that's what you're definitely going to want to know whether you're renting it or selling it or rent to owning it. I mean, you want to know what your exit strategy is so you can input the correct numbers. So, what I always do, you can call the park manager for sure. That's a great one. But what I do is I usually call local property managers or, or local property management companies. Who have you know thousands of units, apartments, and mobile homes? And usually, what I found is apartments and mobile home rentals are usually correlate pretty similarly. So you know, if, if a three bedroom rental is going for eight fifty, uh, a, a mobile home rental will, will usually go for near near that or or more because again, it's your own home, it's your own area, it's your own parking. So I mean, there's just amenities that you can find in the mobile home space that aren't in the apartment space. So yeah, I would talk to park managers, property managers, stuff like that to find rental comps. That's easy stuff.
1: And to your point, you're getting a house. You're not getting an apartment. You're not sharing walls. A lot of times you have better amenities than an apartment. You can oftentimes have dogs. You have a yard, things like that. And I think mobile homes often have a stigma around them. But when you really think about it, I've seen some that are fully renovated and they're beautiful. They're very nice and you couldn't tell them any different than a regular house. So I'm not surprised to hear that about the rent
0: at the end of the day it's it's all about affordability i mean if you have you know if you're just charging too much for rent i mean you're going to have a lot of turnover you're going to have not as good quality tenants but you know with with mobile homes as long as you can stay in the affordable range, what usually market rents are you know you're going to have those people especially once their home's paid off or they' or they're just renting the land like in a mobile home park I mean your lot rents three or four hundred dollars a month that's so affordable. Compared to twelve hundred dollars a month rent in a, in an apartment complex for a three or four bedrooms, so you see a lot more longevity in tenants, a lot better quality of tenants because and that surprises a lot of people. A better quality tenants in, the, in mobile home parks, yeah, absolutely, because their cost of living is is lower, so they have a lot more freedom and more financial stability than people who are spending twelve hundred dollars a month on on apartments that they can't afford it. So yeah, no, it's it's an interesting scenario when you actually dive in and learn. The, the quality of tenants in, in most mobile home parks is actually, I would, I would argue, to be better in the average apartment complex.
1: I'm not a mobile home expert by any means like, like you, but I have been looking at them over the last couple of months a little bit, just slowly learning a yep. little bit here and there. And I was really surprised to learn exactly what you just said. I mean, I know that now, but when I first learned that, I was surprised to hear that. And like you said, I think it goes back to pride of ownership. And it's just a different type of rental than you know than an apartment is. And so with your rentals of mobile homes, are you using a third-party property manager or are you doing it yourself?
0: I've hired out... So my whole portfolio is all managed by Maine Real Estate Management. Awesome guys. But yeah, it's all third-party professional property management company. And here's the reasons why I think you should do it. When I first started out, I managed all my own stuff because I had to. I didn't have money to afford a property manager. A manager. But as I grew... And I I learned on all the podcasts I listened to, you know, the faster you can get somebody to take over your eleven dollar an hour jobs, the more it frees you up to do your thousand dollar an hour jobs, which for me it was finding properties. So the second I offloaded my whole portfolio to a property manager, it freed me up. I didn't have to deal with calls. And a big thing for me is tenant screening. I hated doing it. I was terrible at it. And this way, doing it with a third property, property management company, you're completely out of the loop. I mean, this property management company, they're trained and specialized in fair housing and questions to ask and what questions not to ask and all that stuff. This, this takes me completely out of the liability of all that and puts the liability puts it on the management company who's supposed to be taking care of all that. So for me, it was just a win-win-win. Yeah, you're spending that money out of your pocket, but the freedom I got and the ability to find more deals and therefore more money from doing that, making that decision was well worth it.
1: And is the $300 cash flow, roughly, that you mentioned earlier, is that after property management fees?
0: Yep. That's after all expenses, taxes, insurance, property management, lot rent, all that stuff. That's what I'm taking home per door minimum.
1: And so what are you roughly seeing for a property management fee in the mobile home park space? Is it similar to what you'd get in a traditional rental?
0: I would probably say it's similar to like a single family house Now, obviously if it was a fort you know the more units usually the less property management fee because you know it's all under one roof so I would probably venture to say like if you're going to get a property manager on a mobile home one mobile home you're probably looking at 7 10% maybe you know you'll get those guys if you get a, a whole cluster of them together they'll give you like 6% or 7% but yeah I, I would say it's pretty consistent with every other asset class because at the end of the day it's all the same stuff it's, it no doesn't matter if it's a single family house or a mobile home you're still filling a unit turning a unit running the application, doing maintenance calls, stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot of the same stuff for these property managers.
1: What would be the number one piece of advice you'd give to a new real estate investor listening to the show today that wants to give mobile homes a shot?
0: I think the number one thing, especially what I've seen as of late with working with Brandon Turner and, and Open Door Capital, and, and integrating that with my own portfolio, because it's it's much different. I mean, I'm used to working on my own, on my own schedule, and now working with another awesome rock star team. But regardless, at the end of the day, my biggest, I guess, advice I would give to a new investor coming in would just be the quality of focus and how consistent your focus can be. You know, there's so many different asset classes in real estate. There's so many different things and everything. You know, but if you can dwindle it down to one or two things and be focused and consistently focused every single day, you're bound to be successful. It's just how it is. I mean, it's so easy to in today's day and age with technology, and especially with us being young and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's just so easy to get off track to not keep up with your goals. But if you can just stay consistently focused over a long period of time, there's no doubt in my mind that you'll find exactly either what you're looking for or a different path to what you're looking for. Because it's just time on task. It's just like anything else, like with basketball or or cooking or reading or whatever. The time on task, the more you're doing something and the more frequently you're doing something, the better you're going to get at it and the more you understand it. So if you're getting into this space or into any space for that matter, I would say the more you can be consistently focused, the more successful you're going to be.
1: Tristan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Where can the audience go to learn more about you and just all the different things that you have going on?
0: I am on uh, Instagram, trthomas14, I believe. And you can hit me up on email, tristan.thomas24 at gmail.com. Those are usually the two best ways to contact me. So it's been on the Bigger Pockets podcast. I've had a ton of people reach out to me. So there's still a lot of people in my inbox I haven't got back to yet. But I will get to everyone. uh, Just shoot me your questions. I've had some people who want to do like paid calls or some minor mentoring, stuff like that. So there's definitely some room for value add there if somebody's really serious about it. But regardless, if anybody has any questions, feel free to shoot whatever you got.
1: Awesome. I'll be sure to put links to all of that in the show notes so that everyone listening to the show today can reach out to you and ask their questions. I really appreciate you offering that to the audience. Tristan, thanks so much. I really appreciate it.
0: Robert, thanks for having me on. Thank you.
1: All right guys, that's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to the investorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.